guys, this is Pastor Justin Bowers, and you are listening to the New Community Podcast. Uh, We're thrilled that you're listening today, and we hope that this is a great experience for you. I wanted to let you know that you can support the work of New Community and all that God is doing down here in West Virginia by going to New Community WV and then clicking on the Give tab. Uh, We would love to have your support, and we would be excited that you would journey with us in all that God has called us to, to be a people finding and following Jesus beyond Sundays. Enjoy the podcast. Awesome. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Awake, 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 awake. All right. It's raining. Some of you got sports canceled. Congratulations. You get an afternoon free. Not soccer, though. We're going to get out there. Awesome. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Awake, 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 awake. All right. It's raining. Some of you got sports canceled. Congratulations. You get an afternoon free. We're going to jump in today. And if you have a Bible, you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. That's where we'll spend some time, 2 Samuel chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have it on the screen as well. As you're turning there, um, I really tried hard to find these, and they're buried in my garage somewhere, and I couldn't find them. But I actually, I have a baseball from when I was a kid. Um, I actually have two baseballs from when I was a kid. The first one is pretty beat up. Like, it was used a lot. It's at least 27 years old because I got it when I was 12. And it's, you know, it's dirty, it's messy, it's kind of got all that, but, it, but it's, it's a special baseball. And I know that baseball is special because it's been hit hard at least twice, right? I say at least twice because the first time I saw it be hit, it was a line drive from a 12-year-old like I've never seen before. The trajectory of this ball was so hard. The second time that I know it was hit really hard was when my eye caught it. And that, I was playing third base, and the ball, like, I, I just, I, it was there, and it, I'd, I'd use my face in incredible ways. Like, no one can say to me, use your head. Like, I did. I tried. And, and that, that second hit was really hard, so hard that it put me in the hospital for four days. Some of you know that story. Some of you were there. Um, welcome back to the party. Because uh, I don't tell this story very often. But when I was about 12 years old, I spent four days in the hospital because of that, that eye injury. This bone and this bone looked like cracked windshields is what they said. Um, but I have a second ball, baseball, that hasn't been used. Like, it's never been hit before. And the only messiness on it is some writing. There's about 12 signatures on that ball. And then in Sharpie marker written really neatly, it says, the comeback kid. And I was given this ball when I came back at the end of that season to play in a couple tournaments. My team signed it, and the coach gave it to me. Now, what it should probably say is, like, the kid who tried to come back and really sat the bench for most of the tournament. Like, that's what it should say, but it doesn't. It says the comeback kid. Both of those baseballs carry a lot of meaning for me in different ways. Most of you um, maybe have heard me talk, but, but that, that eye injury was pretty formative in my faith development. Our family ended up getting really connected to Christ after that. I ended up getting really connected to Christ after that. I didn't know until I came out of the hospital. They thought I was going to lose the eye. My parents didn't tell me stuff. Um, and and, and that's, that's kind of the reality of how I began my spiritual journey. But I want to say to you, what I remember most about trying to come back from that injury at the end of the baseball season was not the injury itself. What I actually remember not too long after that, that, that injury, I remember recovering at home. Like, I remember laying on the couch, and, and guys, you may remember this. There was a brand of baseball cards called Upper Deck. Anybody remember Upper Deck? Still have some of them? Yeah. Upper Deck was a popular baseball card brand, and they had released a commercial that year. I'll never forget this. I looked it up. I saw the commercial. And 
It's on YouTube. You can find it. And there's a baseball player who hits the ball, and digitally they enhance it so it looks like the ball is coming out of the TV directly at you, like almost 3D. It was super cool had you not been hit in the eye with a baseball that year. (laughs) For me, it was traumatic every time that commercial was on. Like, it was a flinch fest. Like, every, I would be on the, that's what I remember most clearly is that commercial. Now, here's the thing that I think about why I'm telling you this. For many of us, here's the thing about us. We can truly be fighting for a comeback in our lives and still be fighting the past. Like we can be in the present fighting for this comeback, choosing to battle and to try to move forward into the future. And and all we're fighting is our past. I think as, as we've been talking for the past several weeks about this comeback, this thing of coming back to life and finding purpose, I think often the hardest part of a comeback can be realizing what we lost along the way. Like the hardest part of a comeback may not be actually choosing to get back up and re-engage life or, the, or, or finding what God has for you. That, those are hard, but I don't think they're always the hardest part. I think the hardest part is trying not to work forward while we're looking back going, but I lost all this stuff. I lost everything. Like maybe you felt that as you've talked about the potential of your comeback, the idea of recapturing your heart. Maybe as we've talked about all this, like we need to name some of those things that you've lost, that I've lost. Like what have we lost in these pitfalls where we make choices that lead us into just really broken places and darkness and we, we kind of fail? Or, you know, maybe it's not our fault. Maybe life has just assaulted us and we feel like we've lost things along the way. Think about it. Like many of us, we've lost reputations, like you failed so miserably or something took you out. You, you, just, you just screwed it up and you lost a reputation along the way. Some of us lose our credibility, right? Like we, we try to keep battling, but we feel like the people around us just don't even trust us. Maybe you lose, you lose, you lose relationships, like the people closest to you, your friends, your family, that, that loved one, your spouse, like you lost them. And you think, I want to move forward, but I can't get any of this back. Maybe you lost your confidence. That was me, right? Like, I lost my confidence. I didn't want to see any more line drives coming at me. Like, let me just be a cheerleader. That's, or we lose our potential. Like, we feel like we had so much to offer the world, but because of what happened or because of what we did, we've lost our potential. Today, I, I, I want to start to wind this series down. Next week is going to shift and, and, and kind of pivot to look at Jesus' comeback, as it should on Easter. But today I want to invite you as we start to wind this down, I want to actually invite you to a different perspective of your past. Because if we're talking about comebacks, your past is going to try to keep invading. And as as I offer you this perspective, this is going to be a lens that might actually help you shift your future. And we're going to go there, but I want to look at this story that we've been living in for the past six weeks before we get to that perspective. So in this series, we've been talking about King David. We've been talking about one of Israel's greatest kings, a man that God would actually say, he had a heart like mine. Like he was a man after my own heart. I love David's heart. But what we've been looking at is the the two chapters, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, where his heart was corrupted, where his heart grew dark, where he actually chose to not be the king and instead to engage the pleasures of the world around him, where he assaulted Bathsheba, even raped Bathsheba, and and she became pregnant. And then David decided to cover this up, and, and he had her husband killed. Right? And then we looked the past couple weeks at how David starts this journey toward a comeback where he is praying and pleading and fasting before God and yet the child born to Bathsheba dies anyway. And we talked last week about David after that moment choosing to worship God 
choosing to go home, choosing to restore his relationship with himself, that David chose those things. And, and we've seen that start of a comeback, but, but here's the thing. I would say where we left off last week, like some of you were so glad for good news last week because the first four weeks were just painfully dark and heavy, right? Like last week, we could have ended this story. Like it, it's a good place to end. He's sitting at home. We decided last week he was eating cereal, Captain Crunch most likely. That's if you missed out, you can go back and catch that. We decided that he was connected to Bathsheba. Everything was going okay. Like, life was getting better. He was worshiping God. If you like chick flicks, like, that's where the movie fades out, right? Amen, ladies, guys? That, come on. That's where it ends. It'd be a good place. But there's a problem because the story has not yet confronted in that moment the things that David lost. In fact, I would say David hasn't confronted what, we, what he lost. Remember the very first verse we started with in chapter 11? We'll, we'll put it on the screen. It said this. This is how this whole story starts. In the spring, at the times when the kings go off to war. Now, what was David? David was a king. This was the season David should have gone off to war. But it says, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. Now, there's two names I want you to remember because we're going to come back and dig into them. The first is Joab, the guy that David sent because David chose not to go. The second is the city of Rabbah. And this verse tells us, but David remained in Jerusalem. He didn't do the thing he should have done. He didn't go fight the battle. I want you to think about it because the course of this story, and I, and I would encourage you to go back and read this, think about the things that David is probably saying, these are the things I've lost. Like everything we've mentioned, he lost it. He lost his reputation. He should have been the king who was fighting the war. Instead, he was the king who stayed home. He lost his credibility. Can you imagine his soldiers going, what type of leader is this? This is the guy that leads our nation. Aren't you glad for the past like 15 years our politics aren't like that at all? Like we're beyond that conversation. I said 15, not just one. I'm bipartisan. Stay with me. He's lost his relationships, right? He's slowly finding restoration in the relationships, but he's lost them. He's lost his confidence. Can you imagine? This was the shepherd boy who killed Goliath, and now where is his confidence? Can he go fight a war? He's lost his potential. See, what would the future of his kingdom look like now? Can you imagine sitting there eating that Captain Crunch going, how am I ever going to go back to being king? So see, we see in this moment, David has started to come back. He's out of kind of the critical care, the intensive care unit, but he's a long way from being back on the field. He doesn't get his comeback kid baseball yet. He is, he is not fighting the battle. And I want you to see what happens in the last five verses of this chapter, chapter 12. Here's what it says. Verse 26. Meanwhile, Joab fought against the city of Rabbah of the Ammonites, and he captured the royal citadel. Now, just pause there for a moment because I don't want you to miss who this guy Joab is. Joab is the one at the beginning of the story in chapter 11 that David sent to the battle. He said, I'm going to stay home and do what kings shouldn't do. You go fight the war. Now, what we can learn about Joab, we have to look in other places in the scriptures to gain access to this because in chapter 11 of 1 Chronicles, here's what we're told about Joab. David had said, he says this, whoever leads the attack on the Jebusites. So David's getting set up with his military guys. They're starting to ascend the throne. He's saying, whoever leads this attack will become commander in chief. And Joab, son of Zariah, went up, everybody say it, first. Now let's say, everybody say it, first. And he, so he received his command. So he became commander in chief because he was the first one in the battle. He was a military strategist. 
In fact, if you read the stories of David in Chronicles and First and Second Samuel, you will find that in most of the military moments of David's life, you don't have to look too far in the scriptures to find Joab right there with him. He's his general. He's the guy that leads the fights. He's probably the one that does a lot of the work. In that passage in First Chronicles, if we were to keep reading that, we don't have time, but it's one of my favorite parts of scripture. It goes on to list and say, now here are 30 of David's mighty men. And they actually go down the list telling us of these 30 men who fought beside David and telling us of the adventures that these guys have. Let me give you two of them that are just too cool for me to pass by. There's a guy named Jashabim. Everybody say Jashabim. Now you name your first child that. You'll be biblical. This guy, it says, killed 300 men in one fight with one spear. That's pretty good. That's a, that's a pretty tough dude. Like 300, pretty good. 280, I don't know, but 300, that's really good. Then it tells us of Benaiah. Benaiah, it says, killed two of Moab's mightiest warriors. Wow, like the guy got 300, you killed two, not bad. How'd you get in the list? Well, it goes on. It says, Benaiah also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Can you say, like, that's a lot of detail. Like, I would have just walked by the pit, wouldn't you? Like, there's a lion, there's a pit, I'm, I'm good, like... Don't bother him. He jumps into the pit. And by the way, it was snowing. It was cold. He should have gone somewhere else. The 30 of these guys are mentioned. There are 30 mighty men listed. Now, I want you to notice, if you were to go back and read this, one of them is Joab's armor bearer, the guy that carries Joab's armor and sword and all that stuff. One of them is Joab's brother. But none of them, listen, none of them are Joab himself. Now, why is that? Here's my hunch. I think Joab maybe was the mightiest of men but he didn't want any of the credit. I think maybe, maybe, I can't prove this. This is just a hunch that maybe David was writing this or whoever was writing this, Samuel, whoever the writer was, and he's going, oh, these 30 guys, Joab, but what was your story? And Joab's like, don't put me in that list because Joab was about the good of his leader. Joab was about the good of the people around him. Listen, I would love to tell you that's me, but I'm human and sinful and broken and I want credit. Like, I want to be in the list, don't you? Like, I don't, I don't want I, I to I be passed by. But David, watch, watch what happens. David is sitting there. Joab's still fighting against Rabbah. Look at verse 20, 27, and we see more of what Joab's like. Joab then sent messengers to David, saying, I have fought against Rabbah and taken its water supply. Now, muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. By the way, I think muster is a word we need to bring back. Because it's the only word to describe what Joab's telling him to do. Look at, he sa- look at what he says next. Otherwise, David, I will take the city, and it'll be named after me. Isn't that awesome? Right? Like, I love this moment, because the more I find out about Joab, the more I appreciate his heart. I love that he's the bookend character of this story. Like, the writer is doing this on purpose. The very opening of chapter 11 is, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab. At the very end, he's saying, Joab's still fighting the war, and he's writing back to David saying, get your butt here. Like, the battle's still going. The city of Rabbah is going to fall, but I need you in the fight. Get back in the battle, because if you don't, I'm going to finish the job, and they're going to name the dang city after me. This is like healthy trash talk, by the way. Do you have people like that in your life? Do you have people that muster something in you? that actually speak challenge to you, that actually commission you. Listen, I, I know we've talked about this before, but I want you to hear it again because we all need it. We need more of this in our lives. I, I believe we could say it this way. When it comes to our comebacks, many of us need less comfort and more commissioning. 
Like, we don't necessarily need more comfort. We need more Joabs in our life. We need more of the no-nonsense friends who bypass your failure and misery and call us back to the battle. Do you notice that Joab's message to David is not like, hey, bro, you screwed up your life. What were you thinking? There's no lecture. Hey, David, I have been thinking about this for several weeks now, several months, and I know that you're grieving, but I would like to explain to you why I think you were in the wrong so that we can fully reconcile our situation and intellectually have a discussion about this, and maybe we can connect it over coffee at a later time. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't dwell on David's brokenness and say, David, I know you're hurting. Can I, I just wish I could be there. I sent flowers. He doesn't do any of that. He says, it is time for you to get back in the battle. Now listen, when that coach called and asked me to play in those tournaments, he didn't take the time to be like, Justin, how are you handling that baseball card commercial? Are you okay? Like, do you need some help? Do you need a, like a, a comfort animal? Like, are you, are you okay? Is everything, should I send flowers? Like what? He doesn't say any of that. And if you know this coach, he would not have said any of that. He wasn't interested. He just said, we have a spot on the team and it's time for you to get in the game. We need you in it. Friends, many of you need to hear that. You need a Joab in your life speaking not comfort but commission to you. It's time to raise up because God has purpose for you and you're missing out. And, and so I would say it this way. It sounds like common sense, but are you ready? For your comeback to happen, you have to actually come back. I know that sounds absurd, right? It's crazy. Why would you expect me to come back? That place was ugly. It hurt. I didn't like it. I felt uncomfortable. But you're going to have to come back. Do you know what the word commission means? It means this, a person officially charged with a particular function. Now, I love that definition, right? That, uh, the, the particular function actually stands out to me because here's what Joab knew about David. Joab knew it wasn't his job to capture the city. Joab knew it was his commission to support David. And he said, what, what Joab's saying is, I don't need another resume builder. Like, I don't want to be in the list of, your, of historical events. I don't need to build my credibility. I don't need one more like on Facebook. Now we're preaching, amen. I don't need that stuff. I don't need another notch on the belt of my battles. I have no desire for that. What Joab was saying is I want the king to get back to being the king so I can be his commander in chief. Because I can't be fully what I'm made to be until you're fully what you're made to be. So if I can sidetrack just for a minute, I would say this to you. If you've been here for this whole series, some of you I know you're processing and you're fighting for your comeback. You're trying to figure this out. Some of you may be in a place where you're going, I don't really know what I need to come back from. Like I've had broken places, but I feel like I've come back. So, so what does this mean to me? Well, here's the side note. Some of you don't need the comeback. Some of you don't need to be broken anymore. Some of you need to start being a Joab. Some of you need to step up and start being the one who calls others to their comebacks, to stop being the friend who only offers comfort and start help, instead start helping others live into their callings. You know what I think would make our church amazing? I, I love our church. I think our church is amazing already. But I think the thing that would take us from like great to greatest or greater, I don't, can you be competitive as churches? I, I'm sure you can, right? But I think if we became better at acting like Joab, I think if we became a community that was known for calling out the best of each other, for going to those uncomfortable places in our relationships with each other that says, listen, I know that you've jacked up your life. Like, I know you're miserable. I know you're hurting, but we need you in this. Like, come on, let's go. Let's go fight this battle together because here's the thing. That's how God is in our life. 
I don't know if you know this, but I want you to hear this. God loves you just as you are. Amen? We all love that. We will all amen that, and we'll sing how he loves all day long. But I want to write the second part of that song that says, and he refuses to leave you there. He's not going to leave you there. He loves you exactly as you are, and he's going to continue to transform your life. So listen, when your past keeps coming into your present and affecting your future, you don't need comfort to keep sitting in it. You need battle to pass. You need to battle past them for the sake of overcoming. Romans tells us this. Paul says this. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. Some of you have a harder time forgiving yourself than God does. Thank you. You guys can come back every week. Those amens. Some of you need to forgive yourself because God did a long time ago. Paul goes on. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then there's this commission. Watch this in verse 37 of Romans 8. He says, no, in all these things, we are basically called to sit on the couch and just feel sorry for ourselves. Doesn't say that. He says, we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. So God's love is the thing that changes it all for us. So I want you to to picture this. Picture this moment when David gets the the message from Joab. Like the text comes in or the scroll, whatever they use. At that point, he gets the text and he says, hey man, get your butt back in the game. Like, let's go. Now think about how that affects David. I think this is his baseball card commercial. I think this is his moment where the flinching begins, where he thinks, how, how am I going to get back out there? Like, should I even put the spoon for my cereal down? Because I've got so many things that could go wrong, so many things that I've lost. If I go back to that battle, that means I've got to walk there. I've got to find a way to get there, and I've got to think about it all the way there, and I've got to be afraid because what if, what if my men don't trust me anymore? What if those 30 mighty men who were my guys on the front line look at me and like, where you been, bro? Like, what, what's going on? You checked out on us. What ha- this is everything playing in David's head is all about his past. But look at verse 29. David mustered the entire army. He did what Joab told him to do. And he went to Rabbah and he attacked and he captured it. And then we moved from chick flick to Braveheart, right? Because watch how this ends. So David took the crown from their king's head. I don't know if the head was still on the body or not. I'm not sure. But he took the crown from the king's head and it was placed on his own head. Isn't that epic? Like, think about the scope of this. He stayed home from war as the king that he should have been fighting the battle, and now he's back on the front lines picking up a throne that he should have lost. This is his comeback. David's made the journey by the grace of God back to his own battle, back to his own mission. He's found his heart. He's recaptured his calling, and he has now reengaged his quest. But let me tell you why this is so powerful here, why this matters for you and I, because we have to understand this. It's, it's true for every one of us. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't care what you need to come back from. I don't want to dwell in that. Whether it's your own bad decisions, whether it's your own brokenness and sin and descent into darkness and moral failure, or whether life has just come at you and you're barely holding on. I, I, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to dwell on those things. Because here's what I know. You're calling doesn't end just because you need to come back. God has not looked at you and gone, "Ah, they blew it. I better give that calling to somebody else. See, this city was waiting during David's failures. 
during his knockdown. The battle was still going, and it was still waiting for the king to come and be the king and take his victory. Can I just tell you what words I believe do not exist in God's kingdom? Are you ready for this? Two words I don't think exist in God's kingdom. The word's too late. I don't think God speaks those words. I don't think God knows those words. I don't think God looks. The God who created the universe, the God who invented time. By the way, there was, you want to blow your mind? You ready? There was no time before God said, let there be time. There was no time. So God doesn't look at something and go, oh, they ran out of time. What am I going to do? I'm going to give them more. I'm going to redeem what they've lost. He can give you more time, but he can also give you time that you lost that you destroyed, that you had broken. There is no word too late in God's vocabulary. So what that means for us is you don't necessarily lose your mission when you've lost your direction. Just because you lose your direction doesn't mean you lose your mission. The beauty of grace is the power and the passion of the Easter story we'll tell next week. But the word too late doesn't exist in God's kingdom. God allowed his son to die and stay in a grave for three days, and it still wasn't too late. Three days later, God wasn't going, oh, my gosh, he's been dead. Like, how long can we go? Like, I just, can you imagine that? There is no too late in God's kingdom. I want to tell you one more thing as we, as we start to, to wind down here. This, this city where David was fighting, this is so cool about this story. What, what was the city? Anybody remember the name? Rabbah, yeah. It was known for something. It, it, this is one of those super cool Bible things you just don't get without really looking in the scriptures and digging deep in other books. And I, I love this stuff. Like, I kind of geek out over this stuff. But this city was known for something, just like we know cities. So if I say the word Pittsburgh, what do you think of automatically? Steelers, bridges. Uh, yeah, what else? Nobody ever says pirates anymore. Somebody said that in the first service. I was like, eh. All right. Uh, how about New York City? What do we think of when we think of New York City? buildings, money. We're going to go spend a lot of money, right? Like Broadway, Big Apple, Statue of Liberty. So we associate things, attractions, things that, that we go to do or see or experience with cities. Rabbah was the exact same way for the Jewish people. They understood Rabbah based on a scripture and based on the writer Moses and what he shared with them about Rabbah. Now listen, 400 years before David's story ever happens in Deuteronomy 3. This is going to sound so random. I'm going to connect it. Hang with me. Deuteronomy 3, verse 11, here's what we find out. Og, and this is all in parentheses. Moses is writing about the law. It's Deuteronomy, so it's hard to read. It's struggle bill with laws and all that stuff. And in parentheses, he says, Now, Og, king of Bashan, was the last of the Rephaites. His bed, <laughs> random, was decorated with iron and was more than nine cubits long and four cubits wide. It is still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. Okay? Now, you guys are like, what the heck is this all about? We think of New York City, and we go, that's where you go to see the Statue of Liberty. The Israelite people, based on knowing this law, knowing the word of God, would have said, oh, Rabbah, that's where Og, king of Bashan, the last of the Rephaites, was buried. He had a bed with iron. The bed is still there. You're still confused. Let me explain this. This is why this matters. We find out what this city is, and 400 years later, David is going to fight a battle in this city. Now, why this matters is this. Og was from which tribe? The Rephaites. Now, what does that mean? Here's what I would say to you. The Rephaites were known as a tribe of giants. They were lit literally physically bigger than anyone else around them. They have actually, this is so cool, archaeologists have actually found stone beds that the Rephaites used, and they are abnormally large. So there's a guy that was the king of the Rephaites, the last of the Rephaites, who was probably a giant, 
who died in this city, and his bed is still there. And we're told the bed was nine cubits long and four cubits wide. Nobody knows what a cubit is. Let me translate, because my footnote told me this, right? This is not super seminary power. This is, I looked at the footnote. That means the bed was 14 feet long and six feet wide. This was a big dude. Okay, that's what we're translating. That's that long path to get there. So, watch this. 400 years later, when David heads back to Rabbah, the place he should have been fighting, he's walking into a city where giants are known to be killed. Amen? The shepherd boy who killed the giant and lost all his past and lost all his potential and lost all his confidence and lost all his relationships is being brought back to a place where God says, listen, I've killed giants before you ever lived. Let's go get some more giants. God's giving David the opportunity for the comeback of his life, and he's saying, it's not too late. I have two baseballs. The band can go ahead and come. I have one baseball from my past. And one baseball that spoke into me and opened my future. Now, I don't know, friends, what lies in your past. I don't know what keeps coming at you from your past. Maybe it's your failures, your own brokenness, your own bad choices, your own descent into darkness, where you found yourself in places and seasons and circumstances where you were going, how did I get here? Maybe what comes from your past is the brokenness that has been committed against you. The brokenness of relationships, the brokenness of abuse, abandonment, the brokenness of shame, the brokenness of being cast aside. I don't know what it is from your past, but you know what? Can I be your Joab for just a moment? Can I just tell you, it's not too late. Even for you, it's not too late. And I'll tell you why. You see, there's something powerful that I want to tell you about your past. And, and this is what I was talking about at the beginning, the lens that I think if we can look at our past in this way, we can look at our future in a new way. When it comes to God's commission for you, the battles you're invited into, when it comes to the things that, that, that God has in store for you, there's a very real understanding that I want you to have about your past. I don't want you to deny your past. I don't want you to ignore your past or forget your past. None of us can do that. But what I want to say to you is this, your broken past can, in God's kingdom, become the source of power for your future battle. What has been broken in your past, what you've destroyed in your past, what has been hurt in your past can be absorbed by the grace of God and turned and transformed and redeemed and revalued in a way that it becomes a force for your future. Anyone who's lived a redemption story, a comeback story, knows this to be the case. See, David, in all of his failures and falls and his pain and his suffering, he would never, want, never, ever, ever fight a battle in the same way again. David would, David would never walk to the front lines without understanding something different because of what he had experienced in his past. The old baseball that I have, the one that hit me in the face, taught me something about my future. It taught me something about overcoming, something about coming back even when it hurts, even when I have no confidence, even when there's fear, even if it feels like it's just too late. And my future became different because of the, the battle in the past that I'd fought. As we close today, I want to invite you to a table that reminds us it's never too late. This communion table is a place where we remember the sacrifice of Christ. Friends, this is Holy Week. 
This is Palm Sunday, the day that we celebrate Jesus riding into Jerusalem, being hailed by the people as king, as king, as king. We love him. He's king. Let him be king of us. Let him save us. And just a week later, the same people would be shouting, crucify, crucify this man. We learn people are fickle. Amen. But we come to the table and we break bread. We break a piece of bread. And we remember the broken body of Christ. And we take that bread and we dip it in the juice. And we remember the shed blood of Christ. And typically when we do this here, we, we invite you to come to the table. And it's about you. It's about what God's doing in your heart. But today we're going to shift this a little bit. First service was so, they were like, you're freaking us out. This is awkward. I'm okay with awkward. All right, bring your friends and your visitors next week. We'll make them really comfortable. Today, we're going to get a little awkward around communion because we need awkward in our lives. Some of us need today to be Joab for somebody else. So I'm going to give you directions. Now, typically, I try to do this, and nobody listens to me. Nobody pays attention. Here's what I want to happen. When you take communion, this side, you guys with me? Raise your hand. Thumbs up. You're awake, all of you. Okay, you're going to go out to the right. You're right. You're going to go out around. Some of you are like, well, I'm, I'm going to reject that. I will rebel, start a revolution of communion. No, you're going to go that way, this side. Everybody wave. Hi. You're going to go this way to your left, and you're going to come around. And we're going to take our time. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get slowed down. You're going to have to wait a little bit. It's okay. We're not in a hurry. There's no service. If you want to be in a hurry, come to the first service, okay? But you know what's going to happen? You're going to approach the table together. You're going to approach the table, and you're going to have to look at somebody across from you because that is the church. And some of you are going to be as broken as you felt in a long time saying, God, I need a comeback. God, I need a comeback. And somebody's going to see you on the other side. And you know what they're going to do? You know what they're going to want to do? That's what they want to do. They're not going to do that. They're going to speak a blessing over you. It can be as simple. I know some of you are like, oh, I'm out of here. When they stand, I'm out. It might be as simple as just saying, God bless you in your brokenness. God loves you. Don't, you can quote songs. If you want to sound like you're quoting scriptures, quote the songs we sang earlier, right? Just God loves you. Do you know God? You know how much, oh, how he loves us, right? Like whatever it is. Some of you may need to be Joab at this table. Some of you may need to be David being called back to the battle. Some of you may need to find a moment where you say, I know this person or I want to know this person. And I'm going to take your hand and I'd like to go pray with you. I'd like to step aside and pray with you. I think we need more tables. You know what this feels like a lot of times to me? This feels like a theater. This feels like I'm trying to entertain you. And I don't want the church to be entertaining. I think we need more tables in the church. So this is going to be strange. It's going to be slow. We've got a song that can go on for hours. It's four chords and a guitar and a bass and drums. And we're, we're ready to roll. Some of you, I know this is hard. Don't make it strange. Don't make, just let it be a moment where you speak blessings to each other, where you pray with each other. Maybe you need to embrace someone and just say, the first service, the first people started hugging, and then everybody had to follow that pattern. So these guys are dying like, <laughs> like it was just, <laughs> so I'm trying not to cry and laugh at the same time. Like, it was just beautiful. But friends, this is the table of the Lord where the broken are welcome, where the failures are redeemed, and hope is restored. Let's pray together as we come to the table. Jesus, thank you for this place. Thank you.